Well, I was hopeful. I was hoping on Monday, today, I'd be sitting in this chair celebrating, yelling about a Sooner win over Kansas and Allen Fieldhouse for the first time in 30 years. Unfortunately, the trip to Lawrence ended up like the previous, what, 31 attempts or 31 years, I guess. OU played uh, really well at times in the first half, uh, close game going into halftime but just couldn't get it done in the second half, especially offensively. Uh, well, they have just 26 or 29 points, I believe, in the uh, in the second half in Allen Fieldhouse. And like uh, Josh Hilmer once yelled out, walking out of Allen Fieldhouse next to me, the last time we won here, I was in diapers. The next time we win here, I'll be in diapers. Unfortunately, yes, the uh, <laughs> curse of the diapers lives on. Do you remember? Do you remember that moment? Oh, oh one hundred. I think was, about it every once in a while. That was probably what about ten years ago or so. Now it was the year before. Yeah. OU made the final four, so that was Buddy Isaiah Cousins' uh, their, their junior year, that Sweet Sixteen season. So frustrating because dang. they should have snapped it. Uh, with Buddy and company, they had that game won. You just got to make a free throw. Couldn't yeah. do it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, second half offensively was was tough. I'll, I'll say this, man. Like as always, going up to Allen Fieldhouse is is awesome. It's cool if you respect and love college basketball. You know, it's it's just a it's just a really cool place. There were a lot of OU fans up there. Now I say a lot in terms of what you normally see for an OU road basketball game. Um, that was the most. That, that was the most OU fans for a road basketball game that I think that I've uh, ever seen before. And not that I've attended like 30, 35 OU road games before, but there, there are a good amount. It, it was funny. OU fans are still hanging in there late. There was one particular fan, and I don't know if you could hear it on the TV broadcast or not. There's probably, I don't know, five, six minutes left in the game. OU's down 14, 15 points. KU's at the free throw line. You still hear, boom, before each of the two free throws. I love it. So OU fans, uh, they showed up to Lawrence. They knew, all right, could be the final time I could see OU in, in Allen Fieldhouse. I'm going to take, uh, take advantage of it. And, it's fun. Hopefully these two in some capacity agree to do a home-and-home home or if uh, Oklahoma has to bite the bullet and go to Lawrence more than they come to Norman, it'd be nice to see this series again down the road. But, yeah, I mean, for a, a long time in our life, that was the last one, and unfortunately – Though uh, it wasn't an eye-for-an-eye situation, you were hoping, right, that Kansas snapping the football streak, you could pay him back here in basketball, didn't work out that can, way. Can I just have one complaint about this weekend? Just just one and, and one only, and I feel like it's the only complaint that I ever have coming back from Allen Fieldhouse. Who, who was it in the NBA? Wasn't it Tim Duncan that every time there was a foul called on him, he was like, what? 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 Seriously? That's like 16,000 KU fans packed into Allen Fieldhouse. All right, were there some ticky-tack calls at points in that game? Yes. Did it cause OU the basketball game? Absolutely not. That was not the reason why KU won. They're a better team. Bill Self said that's the best they played since the UConn game. But my God, Josh, if there is any sort of a questionable call or just a call against uh, the other team whatsoever, dude. Those KU fans, man. Oh, it's like crime, isn't it? I mean, it is like a crime in that place. They were letting them play too oh. in the first half. I thought it was, I thought it was really well officiated in the first half. I didn't feel uh, it was in the second half, but obviously that's not not why things got lopsided. Oklahoma stopped playing after halftime. No, uh, cold weekend up there in Lawrence. Uh, shout out. I, I did, we didn't have a ride from the Oriad really because. Uh, 
We uh, we we did not factor in the Uber and Lyft situation well enough. So you got like, to you got huh. to traverse Lawrence. Well, uh, our our buddies uh, David and Leslie Blaze took us over there, so I wanted to give them a shout out. Ah. Thanks to the Blazes for taking us over to the field house and giving us a ride. Otherwise, your boy may have been uh, <laughs> walking a mile in sub-zero temperatures over there to uh, Allen Fieldhouse, which would not have worked out well. Get those Kansas calves. But anyone that's been up there before, you've been up there several times. It's it's awesome. It's cool. It's one of the cooler environments in all the sports that I've seen. And and I want to get it going on the text line. Let's go. 405-651-3439. Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Just the best atmosphere that you've seen in all of sports. That could be a particular OU home game. That could be a particular bowl game. Maybe you've been to a big-time NFL uh, postseason game. But if you want to think of the best crowd, the best atmosphere, the best scene that you've ever seen, what immediately comes to mind to you? Text us in and we'll get to those. And I was thinking about it before the show today, Josh. And Allen Fieldhouse ranks high. I don't think I'm ready to put it at number one. But I said to myself, dude, don't overthink this. When it comes to the best atmosphere that you've seen, don't overthink it because it's easy. Because one time every single year, we get to go to perhaps the most unique setting in all of college football. And not that we take it for granted, but a lot of us have been there so many times that maybe you don't rake it as high as you should be. OU Texas, without a doubt, number one for me. And what we just saw this past year, what we saw in 2021 – if someone asks me, best atmosphere that you've seen, take your pick between two or three OU Texas games. It's the best. It's the most unique setting in college football, in my opinion. I don't – maybe someone else can top that. And there's been some great bowl games to go see over the years, but that game in Dallas every single year lives up to the hype, man. It's awesome. 2010 OU Texas would have been my first in person. And uh, it, it, yes, I think was the most impactful sports moment. Being in that stadium, feeling that, I remember the the thought crossing my mind, oh, this is college football. Had never experienced it like that before. And obviously a game at Gaylord Family, Oklahoma Memorial Stadiums, always special. And when there's a Notre Dame involved or in Ohio State or these teams like Alabama and others that are coming here next year, it's that extra notch up. But, man, OU Texas – in terms of sports memories for me, the first OU Texas game, there's nothing like no, it. No, there's nothing like it. And then you keep going to it year after year after year, and it lives up to the same hype every single year. Even when years where Texas is is bad and they're unranked, you still better win that football game. There's still pressure to win that football game. And on their side, there's a thought too, like, hey, if we can just win this one, maybe we can get a little bit right. So, of course, it's better when both teams are top five and the game seems massive, and I don't think that that game, even with the 12-team playoff, is going to lose its feel moving forward, but that game still has that hype, still has the drama seemingly seemingly every single year. Yeah, that's that's 49 nothing sucked. It did. I'd like to erase that entire day, that entire game from my memory, but um, otherwise that, that game pretty much always delivers. Yeah, everything about it, the, the fanfare from the, the state fair, the you know stands being split down the middle – the pageantry before the game, during the game, man, that's that's tough to be. Uh, Ohio Sooner says, OU going to Ohio State was surreal for me. I've been at countless games in both stadiums, and seeing them together was a once-in-a-lifetime treat. Yeah, well, just that on its own was a lifetime treat. Ohio Sooner, who's on the text line every single game, going to the shoe, going to Owen Field, seeing them both play 
and then that epic of a game happens. Were you in Columbus? I wasn't in Columbus for that. I missed that one. Yeah, that, that Baker a... planting the flag after. Like, well, that that's that had to be awesome to be there because you know I just witnessed a game that we're going to be talking about fifty years after the fact. Absolutely. Like we're talking about, you know, a certain win in the shoe before Baker Mayfield went up there. We're still talking about that today, right? The kick. Yeah, the the, the kick and. Uh, given how the year prior went uh, before Baker planting the flag. I mean, you got embarrassed here by those guys, and then to go up there and reverse it was pretty spectacular. I can imagine that would be a a nice cathedral. Some of the fans, uh, South Bend, I would imagine, right, for Notre Dame was was a good one. Especially if you grew up a Catholic or, you know, watching Notre Dame as a kid, that that would be really cool. Yeah, probably depending on your age, right, how special maybe that trip would have been. John and Shawnee says, 2000 OU Nebraska meet. To me, that crowd was electric that day. Um, OU's going to have some awesome, awesome home games moving forward, including next year. The Tennessee game is going to be incredible. The Alabama game, even without Nick Saban, is going to be awesome. But it's going to be hard for something to top how great the 2000 OU Nebraska game was. You know, I would you say if you pulled the fan base, that's probably the most popular pick for best home game in school history? I would think so. I mean, that one's that one's just going to be tough to beat. Absolutely, and. Next uh, most memorable probably for a lot of people is Texas Tech. I would entertain some others, but the Nebraska game because of the significance of what it meant, what it capped in uh, red red October for Oklahoma, where you had been for a decade as a program. Yeah, I mean, it's just the stories you hear about what happened after that game in Norman, the party that it was. It's Yeah, I don't know that there's anything that can – compete with that 405 game five against the Clippers when Russ had to nail three free throws to win and Katie sat there facing away from him <laughs> nice game day in South Bend or Columbus a religious experiences says the text from the 405 uh, 918 saw the Bosox play the Yankees in Fenway the last year they won the World Series in 2013 every time A-Rod came up to bat every Sox fan yelled A-Fraud this was right before he was punched for PEDs the, uh, and then after he was punched by, uh, who was it, Jason Veritek back yes. in the day? <laughs> That's great. The uh, Golden State-Kevin Durant return game was uh, – You and I were at that game together. Yeah. I mean, obviously it didn't work out for Oklahoma City fans in terms of the score, but in terms of just sheer venom and environment, that was a pretty uh, special one. Yeah. Mark in Newcastle says, my top three in-person sports experiences. 2000 OU Nebraska. Number two is the 03 Rose Bowl OU in Washington State. Number three is 1988 World Series Game 2 at Dodger Stadium in Oakland. Um, speaking of 1988, another complaint. I thought I had just one complaint from this weekend. I have two complaints. Of course! Of course they had to honor a member from the 1988 National Championship team on Saturday. Just to kick us out. To on which the way I looked out. at the KU fans around and I said, Really, guys? Really? Today you have to do that? Today of all days, you gotta honor the 1988 team. Couldn't do that last Saturday against TCU or sometime here in a couple of weeks. Just had to do it today, huh? Wouldn't be as Bunch much fun jerks. without the Sooners in the house. Bunch of jerks. Then the uh the SEC chance there at the end, which I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I don't really take that personally. I guess it's like, eh. yeah, it's gonna be, it's gonna be awesome. Don't worry, mm-hmm. they'll get, uh, they'll get more SEC chance from us at some point. <laughs> uh, okay, from the four hundred five guys, any idea what Hayes Fawcett's Joe Rogan surprise face gif is all about? There's about a million different ways that you can go with that right now. Bama players are hopping in the portal. 
Washington players are hopping in the portal. Arizona players are hopping in the portal right now. Arizona's leading rusher from last year is now in the transfer portal. This is a guess, okay? And Hayes does this quite a bit. I'm not dogging him, but clearly he gets information before some. Doesn't want to publicly put it out, but it's like, hey, massive news is coming. The, the portal situation that, that, that could happen to where people would say, whoa, that's big, I think at this point is pretty obvious. If Noah Fafita and McMillan, the wide receiver, were to both hit the transfer portal. I mean, how massive. <laughs> I mean, that would be devastating for Arizona, a team that some thought might be top 15 preseason going into next year, maybe the favorite to win the Big 12. Now their coach is gone. He's going to take a number of those coaches to Washington along with him. That McMillan kid is a stud. And if he wants to enter in the transfer portal, he'll probably have some insane offers that come his way. Just, just like Fafita. He's a really good player, too. And if he did, maybe he follows coach to Washington. Maybe he goes to uh, any number of other schools. Fafita would be uh, a highly sought-after quarterback as well for a number of programs. Maybe not the, the top-end uh, blue-blood programs, but uh, anything below that, absolutely. Yeah. And who knows? I mean, you tell me, Milro or Fafita? Um, boy, that's, I might take, uh, I might take Fafita over Milro. At least have a competition over it, right? I might have, I'd rather have McMillan than than either of those two. I think he's that good of a player, but yeah, I think, uh, I think Fafita's got a chance to be, have a really, really nice career somewhere. So that, that, that would be my guess as to, uh, what's going on there. So that is... Boy, we've got some movement right now. Jim Harbaugh is interviewing for the L.A. Chargers, so big jobs may not be done, being opened. And if that happens, then all of a sudden you're talking about Michigan transfer portal opening up and what what dominoes does that bring, too? Crazy. Yeah, how um, how about Jed Fish speaking to Arizona for three minutes yesterday. He pulled a Lincoln Riley. Like, dude, seriously? And and, and like, uh, apparently that happens in the portal. At times now, or probably a lot, is a kid hops in the transfer portal and maybe he doesn't have that face-to-face conversation with the head coach or the coaching staff, which I don't love that. I don't think anyone likes that. I, I think that that sucks that portal decisions are handled that way. But we come after those kids maybe a little bit for doing so. What, what, what about the head coach here, man? I, I know it's tough. I know it's probably st- uh, tough to stand up in front of your team, but you probably owe them a little bit more than a – three-minute explanation and then walking out on him before you take another job. That's that, that, I thought that was pretty weak by Jed Fish. What, I don't disagree. What would be appropriate? It, does it turn into a Q&A session? I mean, just what, be honest. Just, just be honest. Like, go, go in there without the intentions of, hey, I'm just going to say, hey, I'm gone, and then essentially walk out. Yeah, you don't have to do a Q&A session, but just going in there reportedly the way that he did it seemed – I, I don't know. It seemed kind of crappy, you know? Just just be be honest with them. Move on your way. Everyone moves on you know, to their own separate ways, I You guess. could maybe say everything you need to say in three minutes, but probably the interaction isn't everything that it needs to be in three minutes' time. So yeah. if you say everything you want to say, but then you probably need to stick around and answer questions and, and just massage some egos and some hurt feelings. There's no easy way to do that. No, though. it's it's not. I, I think the best thing you can do in that moment is just be genuine, like, hey, guys, here's why I'm leaving. I appreciate you guys. Appreciate everything that we built. But just three minutes in and out like that is, eh, okay. 
All right. It comes across like you don't care about sure. it at all. Or, or Arizona. 405-651-3439 is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. What's the latest in the portal? We'll get into that. And, of course, some 24 and 25 recruiting as well. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer in uh, this hour for Parker Thune. More to come next right here on the Homeless Sooner Fans. Locked in with McComas and Thune. Live on the ref for the Homeless Sooner Fans. Tyler McComas, Josh Helmer in with you until 3 p.m. 30 minutes before uh, the Bills and Steelers are going to play in a blizzard, essentially. Or at least that's what it looks like after the aftermath of the uh, snow this weekend. Man, it's great watching uh, snowy Man. games from the uh, warm confines, isn't it? Like, Steelers fans just trying to get to their seats. It's one of the more incredible things I've ever seen, some of these videos that are coming out. Oh what is gosh. up with governors and politicians having to insert themselves into sports and saying <laughs> dumb things like telling the Steelers fans not to come to the game? You, you're putting the hex out there. Come yeah. on. I do have the app map uh, pulled up. I'm just curious where everyone is listening on this MLK day. Maybe you have the day off. Maybe uh, maybe you're snowed in. Uh, but just by the way, if you're working outside today, this show is for you. Uh, if you're working outside today across the state of Oklahoma or really beyond <laughs> anywhere north of Oklahoma right now, uh, today today is for uh, for you. And I believe we had a texter. Uh, when Steely was on in Wisconsin saying that they were working outside. So. Holy smokes. Yeah, yeah, hat tip. But let us know where you're listening today on this uh, MLK Day, and we'll get to those uh, before we before we hit the next break. Boy, Alabama, man, um, starting to feel it in the portal a little bit, starting to feel it on the recruiting side of things. What do they have, two five-star decommits now since uh, Nick Saban retired last week? Of course, you got Jalen Milrow in the portal You've got Isaiah Bond, who's already announced his intentions to go to Texas. He was Bama's leading receiver last year. Are we start to are we starting to enter into a situation where Alabama could be the biggest unknown next year in the SEC? Yeah, I think that's fair to I mean, say. We we've had fair expectations. Like we we've known what they're going to be year in and year out for over ten plus years now, right? But with the coaching change, players in the portal, all that, I, I wonder if Bama's going to be one of the biggest wild cards in the in the conference next year. I don't know how they couldn't be. And I think Kalen DeBoer is a fabulous coach. The history to this point speaks for itself. I think Grubb's a tremendous offensive coordinator. Agree with that. So to bring him in is uh, is big news for Alabama. But it's not Nick Saban, and there has to be some form of fashion. You would think of an initial drop-off. And so you're seeing some folks that said, well, I, and maybe they still end up signing with Alabama before it's all said and done, but at least right here, right now, they're saying, okay, I'm going to reevaluate things because I signed on, committed on for Nick Saban. And so they're taking a ding there. The transfer portal, I'd imagine they're going to take a little bit of a hit there too. And so if year one doesn't go great, isn't Alabama-ish for Kalen DeBoer? I mean, do they kind of fall – into a tier, I mean, does uh, Georgia could be one of the big winners here to where it's oh, they're absolutely. clearly in their own class now in the, the SEC. biggest winner, and, and not just because they've been kind of on that same level now for a few years, but Georgia and Alabama on the recruiting trail. Well, do they normally finish one and two? Yeah, it feels that way. But Georgia and Alabama have a lot of recruiting battles, including in the state of Florida where they have recruiting battles. So I, I'm with you, man. I think. I think Georgia could be the biggest winner. And what I thought initially when Nick Saban retired is, man, for the first time in over 10 years, it feels like Bama has to take off this bulletproof vest. Because the way I try to describe it is, you know, the old adage in football where, well, 
the other team looks at the sideline before the game and, well, just that logo on their helmet, or I guess in this case, the number on the side of the helmet, that's seven points on the scoreboard. You might as well go ahead and put up seven points before they even kick the thing off because of the intimidation factor. I think Alabama loses a lot of that because Nick Saban's not on the sideline anymore, man. So I, I do think that they're going to be they'll, – they'll still be a good team. They'll still be one of the more talented teams in the SEC, but are teams going to be as intimidated by them as they have in the past? I, without the Nick Saban factor, I, probably not, man. They're going to have to go earn that again, right? You have to go prove that you're still that program, and maybe they are. I, again, I, I'm not living in the world where DeBoer is a bad hire. We just don't know yet, right? But I also don't think that it's just some slam dunk that he's going to go win three national championships no, no leading Alabama. No way. No way. Chris and Lindsay says, working out in the oil field today, screw this weather, LOL. Chris <laughs> well, and Lindsay, this one's for you. Don said, I worked outside all weekend. Well, Don, this one's this one's for you as well. Yeah. Tip of the cap to both of you uh, uh, hard workers, real real men. Yeah, I'd be doing a broadcast outside today. And this is warm compared to Lawrence and Kansas City this weekend. This, this, is, this is nothing. I don't even nothing. want to broadcast from the back of the building. It's too frosty back I, there. Seriously, man, seriously. Um, we are less than a month away until the second signing day. And it feels like the first signing day just happened. Wednesday, February 7th is the second signing day. So we, as we look at OU's... 2024 class still ranked in the top eight on rivals I don't think that that's going to change before we get to February 7th but um again the odds seem greater than 50 percent at this point that the class that OU had on signing day number one is going to be the class it has on signing day number two and that's and that's cool like would you have liked to get another big time offensive lineman in there yeah absolutely that name just wasn't seemingly out there in the 24 class after the second signing day. So, really, you were just trying to make up in the in the transfer portal. But I, I would just – maybe they make a really late offer, but it's going to be a really, really late offer to someone out there. And seeing as where the numbers are at right now, Josh, I, I think they're probably pretty good with, yeah, with this 24 class. Yeah, it doesn't feel like there's a lot of smoke that there's a late name to add to the board, does it? You feel like you would have heard some reporting on an offer or two – and uh, really, they've turned their attention initially to the transfer portal and then to the 25 cycle in this upcoming junior day. So now I'm with you. I think that I think it's done. I think the class is in tow. Yeah, and, and I think that they obviously like what they have, especially on the defensive line, as we talked about for uh, over like six months now. They they did what they needed to do. Okay, so and, and here's kind of a question along with that. They did what they needed to do in 24 on the defensive line, and it was the single biggest question going into the 2024 cycle they're in great position with several defensive linemen can they get it done and they did and give them credit for that I think the same storyline in 24 with the D-line class I think it's a very similar situation with 25 and the offensive line class because there's a lot of what I think there's four top 100 offensive linemen in in the state of Texas right now including Michael Fasusi who OU's in on just like just like in 24 with the defensive lineman, Josh, OU needs to have one of its best offensive line classes in, in 2025. And they, they, they do. And according to the rankings, right, depending on where you look, but kind of just doing a cumulative across the board, this isn't uh, a 24 class for Oklahoma that has 
five blue chip offensive linemen in it, right? And so with that combined with the Caden Green departure, yes, it, it ramps up the importance of turning this 25 class into a class that has multiple blue chippers in it, guys that we think can be NFL talents. Yeah, which, by the way, OU right now in the 2025 class sits at number four currently, according to rivals. Notre Dame's at one, LSU's at two, Ohio State at three, OU at four, and Auburn at five. OU's got nine commits already in the 2025 class, and a big reason why they're already in the top 25 Oklahoma kids, <laughs> Trene Washington out of Carl Albert, Marcus James out of Carl Albert, uh, of course, Jaden Nickens, Elijah Thomas, got Kevin Sperry, who's at Carl Albert as well, and they, uh, they're, uh, they're not done with Oklahoma kids as well. No, they're not, and they're off to a great start there. They've uh, obviously done a tremendous job at wide receiver already in this class, so Emma Jones is cleaning up. But uh, I do think those in-state relationships, just coming home to sure. roost, didn't have them, obviously, when you first stepped in the door, but you've got them now. Yeah, you, you've done a you've done a much much better job with that uh, for sure. So I, there's a chance you could get seven of the top ten players in the state, and we said uh, this is could be the best the state has been in a while in terms of top tier talent. I think that that is absolutely on the table, and it looks like OU is going to do a uh, nice job there. Look, Elijah Thomas, the number one player in the state according to rivals, committed to OU. Kevin Sperry is third. He's committed to OU. Nickens is at six, committed. Marcus James at seven. Alex Shield Knight at eight. Trenay Washington at nine. So you've got six of the top ten players in the state committed right now. Nate Roberts is at two, and sounds, you're absolutely going to have a chance with, with, with him. Yeah, sounds sounds good, right, that you've made some positive inroads. So six, maybe, I mean, I said seven, maybe eight. Maybe eight when it when it comes down to it. And, look, you want to, if you're Oklahoma, win the in-state battle every year. But uh, in a year where there's some legitimate big-time high-major talent, yeah, that's the year you, you really want to clean up in-state. 918 says, I'm sure not feeling sorry for Alabama. No. Uh, yeah, I'll retweet that as well. Not If Alabama uh, is about to have a little downturn for the next three years – and they made a bad hire here, and they got to go hire someone else in three years, I will not feel sorry for Alabama. Just like I don't feel sorry for New England Patriots fans right now. Or Don't feel bad for them. Or people didn't feel sorry for the Chicago Bulls when the calendar turned to 2000 or the Warriors. I mean, no, it's been a dynastic run, and nobody feels bad for you. Uh, 7-2-0, any update on Lance Hurd? Still no decision there. And we said it exactly one week ago. The longer this goes on, Probably the, the worst news it, it is for OU. Over the weekend, the scuttlebutt was was Tennessee, so it's it's hard for me to just sit here today and throw out, yeah, it's 85 90% OU, when what we said last week were uh, over a week removed from the actual visit at this point. How detrimental is it if Oklahoma doesn't win that battle? And why? Why do you think that they would have lost that if they don't win it? I think it's pretty obvious we think we know why if they lose out on that battle is because Ole Miss Tennessee whoever ends up getting him offered more money through NIL right why, why would Oklahoma not match or exceed um should they that I'm going to guess that they gave out a healthy number what they feel that he was correctly valued at and I'm sure you saw a situation where Ole Miss and Tennessee maybe overvalued the the prospect a little bit but I, I say overvalued, and on three has him as the second highest rated portal player available. 
24-7's got him as the number one portal player available. Now, I know the transfer portal is officially closed, and a lot of those guys at the portal have already made their decisions, but as of right now, the two major services, uh, or two of the major services out there think he's the best, or at least number two, that's, that's available right now. Without seeing just like a budget sheet for Oklahoma in terms of NIL deals, at some point, don't you think you have to overpay for a position of need? It's a position of need, man. Like, I, I know you've got, hey, we can't overspend here or do this or that, but every once in a while, I think if you want to track down championships, you're probably going to have to do yeah. that. Uh, Gunny says, where do y'all think Caleb Williams uh, ends up in the NFL? Uh, Chicago Bears with the number one overall selection is where I think. And then do they wheel and deal him, or do they wheel and deal Fields? I think they uh, wheel and deal Justin Fields is, uh, is my guess there. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting to watch. Which, by the way, in his announcement today, and, and no shocker, Caleb Williams announced what about an hour ago or so that he's going yep. to the NFL draft. He uh, he did give a uh, shout out to OU. I mean, it was only like a uh, sentence long, but he still mentioned OU, and then thanked USC after that. And he should. So, for what it's worth, Caleb Williams at least thanked OU uh, as he gets ready to probably be the number one overall pick in the uh, in the NFL. Draft. And let's run down those starting lineups yeah. for the Chicago Bears at quarterback Caleb Williams, Oklahoma. Probably four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Still a lot of text to get to. Yes, more Cruton, more Portal as well. We'll do it next right here on the Ref. Chris in Chicago puts it simply on the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Chris says no. Caleb Williams and the Chicago Bears. Chris sounds like a Bears fan, and he sounds like he's out on Caleb Williams to uh, to number to number one. Or all in on Justin Fields? Is that uh, a crazy thought? Uh, I don't know. You have to ask a Bears fan. Chris in Chicago, let let us know. I think they feel? should draft Caleb Williams. I think that they're uh, they're probably going to. Brad and Bartlefield says, "Funny that Caleb thanked OU and Rattler didn't. We want Caleb." with a couple of uh, crying laughing emojis there. <laughs> How do you think OU fans, by and large, feel about Caleb Williams? Everyone I, around here still hates Muleshoe. Yeah, I think I think have your jokes about the fingernails and this and that, mm. but I think Jeremy, And I do have those, by the way. I do have those jokes. <laughs> and we will read some, mm-hmm. I'm sure, before day's end. But I think generally speaking, he's he's more positively received than negatively. Because he has. He's, he's not really said a bunch of negative things about OU since he left. Nah, that's been the other guy. That's right. That's that's been the uh, and I'm throwing up the quotes here. Adults out of the uh, duo there has you know taken it a taken every advantage to say something about Oklahoma when he's had the opportunity to. Are you convinced that Caleb Williams wanted to leave Oklahoma, or was there pressure from the coach, pressure from the family? Oh, I'm sure there was pressure. Did he really want? I think he probably wanted to follow Lincoln Riley. That's that's what I think that he probably wanted. And that's who he signed. But were there some pressure? Yeah, of course. I think there was. Ronnie says, as a diehard Bears fan, I'm ecstatic about Caleb Williams. You should be. He's going to be, I think, a superstar. Ronnie, who's your target for the 2025 class, by the way? We were asking this last week, and I didn't hear back from you. Who who are you about to go after for uh, OU in the 2025 class? Please let us know. Yeah, four one seven. Not selling your soul to dish out huge money for players. OU is absolutely in the mix in playing the game, but not destroying the locker room for players. Having not earned the demand is absolutely the right approach. And I and honestly, man, that's I I, I do agree with that. It's it's hard not to be. 
at least a little frustrated at times, and maybe even in this example of, God, can you not just bend what you think a little bit because he's a really good player with a high ceiling at a position of need? And we can talk about that all we want, but I think it's obvious OU's not really going to bend, at least not right now, really not going to change the way that they operate and do things with NIL. They'll be competitive and they'll give out nice offers, but they're just not they're not gonna throw out some of these numbers that we're hearing from Missouri, Ole Miss, and some other schools out there. They're just they're not. And maybe it's just not realistically doable for Oklahoma. I'm just here to play a little bit of contrarian and say, should they, right? I mean sure. do they arrive at a point where they say, you know what? In retrospect, we're going to have to do that to, to do what we want to do, which is win the SEC, win a college football playoff national championship. Ronnie says he has uh, not decided on who his target will be yet for the 2025 class. <laughs> he just want, want, wants to see how things develop a little bit here uh, <laughs> early in this cycle before he uh, commits to someone. I thought this was a uh, fun, interesting story on 24-7 today, and there's still all these Saban stories coming out late last week, out through all the weekend and everything says Nick Saban leads college football's best head coach recruiters of all time. So 24-7 came out with the list. Who are the best head coach recruiters in college football history? And they put Nick Saban at number one. And he had so many number one classes at Alabama. Obviously, he did a great job recruiting at LSU. I don't remember what he was doing at Michigan State. I'm sure he was getting some players in there as well. It doesn't even matter. For how many number one classes he had at Bama – and I don't know if anyone wants to use this to, to knock his recruiting efforts, but the program got to a level where it recruited itself there for a while. Yeah, I mean, he he may have had more number one classes than any coach in college football history, right? No doubt. He, I don't know who else you would even consider, but the run that he and they went on, in large part because of what he initially yeah. built, was magical. And it you know, Kirby Smart's trying to duplicate that now. We'll see if that continues. But, uh, man, it's going to be hard to match what Nick Saban did. Uh, they had Urban Meyer at number two. Okay. I mean, I, I don't see Urban as this dynamic personality. I see him as a jerk, <laughs> pretty pretty simply. I'm, I'm sure the personality changes when you're uh, trying to recruit a kid, right? Or at least I, I think it would. But Urban is at number two on the list. Pete Carroll, when he was at USC, is number three. Kind of the opposite of Urban Meyer, of, of what I just said, right, in terms of personality. Who you would imagine yeah. would be a great recruiter. Bobby Bowden at four, of course, when he was at Florida State, and they had that run. And then uh, they have Bear Bryant. I have no idea about Bear Bryant as a recruiter, but. Is that just throw him in because you got to have. Throw him in there because he won a lot of games, got some great players, and he was a, a legend and all that. Well, we, th- we imagine he was great. And then tied with, uh, tied with the Bear at number five is, of course, Mr. February himself, he's at North Carolina right now. They've got Matt Brown tied at fifth. Great Mr. recruiter. Mr. February, yeah. Used to be the nickname uh, back in the day. Their honorable mention list, Bud Wilkinson. Like, okay, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm guessing Bud was, was a great recruiter. Uh, good enough to win a lot of games here. Sure. Uh, Kirby Smarts, Bob Stoops, Lou Holtz, uh, and then Barry Switzer. Yeah, you can't have that list and not have Barry somewhere involved. Yeah. But, uh, of course, I mean, Bob and Barry got to be considered two greatest recruiters in, in OU history. Yeah, I, uh, both of those guys are great. But, the, I mean, the recruiting tales that you would hear about Barry Switzer are sure. just legendary. Oh, le- I mean, the Boz story. Man. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, and the big-time players at both of those coaches ended up getting from the state of Texas. I mean, 
winning out for Adrian Peterson, mm. winning out for Brian Bosworth, who what was committed to Texas A and M when he walked in the the lunchroom that day. Where's Bob? Yeah, and then what Bob Stoops did at times in in the state of California and some other places as well. Uh, good on twenty four seven. At least you put at least you put the killer bees there in the uh, in in the honorable mention. I probably would have put Switzer up there in the top five if it was my list, but. Okay, at least they're at least they're mentioned. Yeah, I mean him being right there with with Mac would not be. I mean that's would make sense. Yeah, four zero five six five one thirty four thirty nine is the Knippelmeyer Chevrolet text line. Real quick, just a few things that uh, big news that happened over the weekend. JJ McCarthy, Michigan quarterback, is going to the NFL draft. Cam Ward said he was going to go to the NFL draft, but now he's going to go play for Miami instead. Okay, it's a good pickup. Will Rogers said, "Hey, I'm going to go play at Washington." And he was with Washington in Houston last Monday night at the national championship game. Well, now he's back in the transfer portal. We'll see what happens there. And then uh, a big developing story today. Looks like Ohio State might hire Texas A&M athletic director Ross Bjork. And you know, man, if some people feel like you're on the hot seat as it is and a new AD is maybe soon coming to town, don't you lose to Michigan again, Ryan Day. Don't do it, man. Don't do it. It's definitely heating up. There's no question. Oh, so he uh, he he loses to Michigan once again next year. They bring a new AD in. I uh, I wouldn't be surprised if Ohio State's uh, is open in less than twelve months. All of which is fascinating because largely they've been tremendous, but they can't beat those guys, and they haven't won a national championship. Yeah. All right, we'll get back to the text line, more crew and more transfer portal as well. Keep it locked right here on the ref. Dorsey Jones, Buick GMC in Areno, bringing the sour of Locked In. Dorsey Jones is family-owned and operated, established in 2020, but many of their employees have been there for more than 20 years. They sell Buicks and GMCs, which are some of the best trucks and SUVs on the road. It's Dorsey Jones, Buick GMC in El Reno. Ed in Houston says, Barry Switzer, easily a top-five recruiter. When I was in school in the mid-to-late 80s, our second and third stringers were better than most teams' first string. Yeah, I, look, Ed, I'm on your side here. If you uh, want to say that Switzer is easily a top five recruiter all time of college football head coaches, I and I don't think many would fight you on that one. The recruiting stories are legendary. The recruiting wins are legendary. And you're right. The overall depth that they had in a lot of those years is uh, is pretty incredible. How would you rank, say, the top five plus Barry Switzer in terms of personalities? Um, As it relates to recruiting. Personality-wise, I think he could be number one on that list, right? right? And, and yeah. No doubt. And who would be who would be next for you after that? I, I mean, if we're just judging it from a personality. I don't think Nick Saban probably gets enough credit in terms of personality when it comes to recruiting just because he looks like a curmudgeon on the sidelines every single game, well, right? Well, his, his press conferences are typically, yeah. were typically pretty Pete dull. Carroll, of course, is going to rank up there pretty high. Bowden? He was a happy-go-lucky guy. Bobby Bowden, sure, yes. Mac would, would be Mac, pretty personable. Yeah. Urban Meyer, that's that he'd, he'd rank very, 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 very low on well, that one. Well, bottom line is Barry Switzer would be toward the top, right? Yeah. And maybe number one. Chapstick says, what in the hell has A&M done to deserve a better opportunity for its AD? They've sucked in the money making sports. Yeah, I was a little bit surprised uh, coming off this whole Jimbo Fisher situation that Ohio State's like, yeah, Ross Bjork's our target. Because he's the one that gave Jimbo Fisher that ridiculous contract, right? Or or the reason why A&M was in that buyout situation that they were? I'm pretty sure, yeah. 
which that's I wouldn't think that would look good on the resume, but that's that's just me. No, yeah, that's that's curious. Uh, Mark in Newcastle, Nick Saban, best uh, head coach recruiter ever. Where does Barry Switzer land? Well, he landed on their honorable mention list for me. He would probably land uh, top three all time if you're uh, asking for my own personal list versus the uh, 24-7 sports list. This uh, football game coming up in 30 minutes is just going to be fascinating, and I know we don't talk a lot of NFL here, but it's not even so much about the game. The game's not even the biggest storyline. It's the (laughs) weather and the situation of the – of the facility up there in Buffalo. Yeah, is, we just want to see the fans and the team's reaction initially. And I just hope that Muleshoe has at least one game next year, one game next year, where he's got to play in something even uh, similar to that. It what would be the, fantastic. Yeah, I'm trying to think what their schedule looks like, but uh, yeah, it'd be it'd be nice to see him coach one Blizzard game. Yeah. Uh, before you get out of here today, and don't think about it, just say the first thing that okay. comes to mind, first team that comes to mind, just now with this whole Alabama situation, everything that's happening, what's OU's toughest game in 2024? First game that comes to mind. I, I still think it's probably Alabama at home. You think that's the toughest out of, out of every game that they're, they're playing yeah, next year? Yeah, and the other ones I would consider would be Ole Miss-LSU. Yeah. I, I think uh, I think at LSU, just because of that atmosphere, would probably be my It's definitely going to be a one. night game. Yeah. But they've got some things to figure out, man. They, they've got to uh, – they got to find someone to take over for Jaden Daniels. And they got to get a lot better on defense as well. So LSU has to figure some things out, but they hired a pretty good defensive staff this offseason. I'm just wondering how much that Alabama game has fallen in the minds of some, but you still think it's number one. Right. I do, but it's, it, does, it feels more gettable now. Hard to think that it doesn't, unless he just takes over and wins the next three national championships, right, which, is, that which is not what I'm uh, betting on at this point in time. All right, The Rush is coming up next. Keep it locked on The Ref.